What is going on, everybody? Welcome aboard the Soul Train. Today, we've got one of my good friends and a very special guest, Brandon Heinen, 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 Heinen Schmidt of Fine Turf out of North Carolina. Brandon, how the hell are you doing, sir? I botched your last name. I know it's Ryan Schmidt, but I, it's just so much more fun to do that. And I, I know it's a beat to death <laughs> joke. They've had to have been doing it since as long as you've been in school, but I had to, I had to do it. I'm sorry. I'm taking Yeah, it. I just block it out at this point. I've heard it so many times, <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm doing great. I can't complain. Um, business is going well. It's just hot outside. It's the only thing I complain about. No, I, I get it. This year has been kind of interesting. Um, I know about here locally, it was super bizarre that uh, we had our drought at the start of the season. Um, you know, the spring was just incredibly dry and then we got rain and then it kind of got dry again. And then, you know, now we're getting rain again. We're getting more typical afternoon thunder showers and stuff right now, which is not when we're usually getting it. Normally we're heading into our own dry season. So kind of an odd ass backwards kind of deal there. But, um, luckily I, well, you know, skin it how you want, but the season's almost over. You've almost made it all the way through. I know. It feels good. It almost feels like you're almost there, which I guess all year you kind of look forward to that little break in December, December, January. So we're almost there. And also with us today, we have, of course, we've got Mr. Ray Ito. Ray, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. (laughs) Good. And Ray, you know, I just want to go ahead and let you know that uh, by Mm -hmm. the end of the show, we expect death to be brought up somehow some way okay <laughs> everybody's banking on it everybody expects it at this point don't let the audience down i won't i won't i won't i mean uh if opportunity presents itself uh i'll slip it in and i won't do it gratuitously <laughs> <laughs> we will not talk about any kind of thermobaric explosions but uh but we can we can certainly talk about some riskier things that are going on out there if you know what i'm saying all right and oh, yeah. uh and bear with us uh uh ryan demay is taking care of some things in the real world right now which is infinitely more important than the bs we have going on on the internet world uh and so <laughs> Bear with us. He's got to get that taken care of because that is ultimate priority. And then he'll come on and uh, and we'll we'll have us a good time. Just like just like so, the whole second half of this is going to be just ton of fun. What you're accustomed to. The first half, I apologize. You're going to have to deal with me and Ray as we accost Brandon and accuse him of things that he's probably never done before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Should have brought more Brandon. beer then, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope, hopefully you got a cooler next to you because you're going for a ride here, sir. Um, Brandon, tell us about your business. Um, tell us about where you started, where you are now. Actually, let's go before then. How did you get into the industry? And what was the catalyst for you to decide to open your own business? So I know that's kind of a lot to talk about, but go ahead and drill us with it. Yeah, just going through everything. Um, after graduating college, I had a degree in English. I never mowed a lawn when I was a kid, nothing. I had no desire to do anything with turf. Um, and then I moved to Vermont randomly. I started working at a golf course during the summer. And after about two years of being the guy who's on the weed whacker, raking bunkers, um, I actually started to enjoy what I was doing and the science behind it. So I went back and did the online thing at Penn State for a turf degree. 
Um, and after that, it was become assistant superintendent, did that at three or four different golf courses. Um, and I was, and I loved it. Um, if I was 25 and single, I'd probably st stay in the golf course world. But when you get, when you have a wife and you want to have a life um, and not work 90 hours a week for low pay, you decided to start thinking about something else. And that's when I decided I wanted to start my own business. So we actually moved to Charlotte um, about four and a half, five years ago at this point for the sole reason of starting a business. And that first year, I worked for a, a large national company to kind of understand what the business side was and what Spraying Lawns was all about, because I'm just so used to the golf course world, which is a complete 180 from what I do now. So I, I worked for a national company for a year while starting my business on the side. So I was working eight to three for them. And then from three to it got dark, I was spraying lawns, fertilizing, I was even mowing, I was taking mulch jobs, doing basically whatever I could do. Um, quit, quit my full-time job, you know, one year into that, and then just kind of went after it. Um, first time, first full year, I was still mowing and landscaping, just trying to basically pay the bills. Then after that year, I cut everything off and just became fully spraying, furt and squirt, um, aeration and seeding. And five years later, I have one employee, probably going to hire two more in the next four months. Uh, we have 520 accounts, and um, I couldn't complain about anything. Everything's going well. So let me ask you here, um, can you say the name of the company you work for? Like, Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually called Naturalon. Okay. It wasn't, okay. It wasn't a true green. Um, and they did things obviously very different. Um, but I still learned a lot. I was actually, you know, in that year that I was there, being, having a you know turf background, it was kind of somewhat grooming me to be the branch manager. So I got to uh -huh. actually see, it wasn't just I was spraying lawns. I got to see him using, I was using real green and routing and using all the, how much you pay for products and kind of got an idea of the business side of things, which was my goal. It wasn't just to get out in a truck and spray lawns. I want to see everything. Yeah. Um, so that was super helpful to me. What was the... Um... I guess, you know, culture shock coming from golf to lawn care. What was the biggest culture shock moment of residential lawn care? I think the biggest culture shock, and it's what I almost, almost have to employ in the business, is like the 80-20 rule. On the golf course, it was everything had to be perfect, right? Um, greens, fairways, tees, everything had to look good. If you need to spray a fungicide at 8 p.m., you're going out there. Whereas in residential, it's you don't control any of the water, you don't control the mowing, you don't control any of that. At least in, in our in my business and typical most business in my area. So letting go of the control and accepting the fact that I only control maybe one third of what happens on the grass, and I got to be okay with that like whole eighty twenty rule of like we'll do the best we can, but this is not going to look like a fairway or a green. And that was a culture shock to me of not having all of the control. I think one of the things that stunned me the most was the pace. Um, you know, going from golf to, to true green and at true green, it's all about speed, right. And volume. And, uh, and I, I mean, there was never a moment to think about what you were doing. If there was any kind of thought process that was going on, it was while you were doing something else, right. You didn't stop mm -hmm. and think, look at something, analyze it, try and come up with a game plan, formulate it in your head, communicate it to someone else to make sure it sounds like not bullshit, and then, and then act on it, right? It was like, you're here, jump out of the truck, flip on that PTO, grab that damn hose, and run to the far corner of the backyard, and you're looking at every and everything you can along that march to the backyard, you know? 
And that was, mm-hmm. it, that, it was just so intense. Uh, the, the speed portion of it was, and the demand for efficiency, you had to be incredibly efficient, even like hose management when you're moving, when you, when you spray the backyard and then you're coming to the front, you know, making sure you're not wrapped around something or, uh, you know, uh, you know, caught in a, mm-hmm. in a tree or something like that. Right. That those little bits of efficiency that, you know, take uh, a good technician and make them a great technician, right. There's, there is still the result aspect of it, but it's also the efficiency piece of it. And, you know, how much can they get done in a day efficiently and, uh, and still provide a good result and being groomed in that kind of capacity was, I'd say that part of it was probably the most shocking for me at least. See, I didn't, I didn't never, I never saw that in lawn care until I started my own business. Cause when I worked for the other company, it was, they weren't as, I would, they weren't as uh, efficient as probably a true green was. So if we got 17 or 18 lawns done, um, it was, it was a big day. So honestly, like I, since I just came into the lawn care world, I'd be done with the lawn and I was like, I don't know what these weeds are. Cause I just came from Pittsburgh and Florida. I'm in Charlotte. I don't know what's going on. So I'm sitting here on the YouTube. I'm sitting here on Google looking at all the stuff in between visits. I didn't have that rush of lawn to lawn to lawn. But when I started my own company and I would put, you know, didn't know how to route things and I just put 28 lawns for the day and I had no idea what I was doing. I had to obviously make sure I got through them and I was, I was running through them. Uh, but that first year with the other company, I didn't, I guess I luckily didn't experience that because it allowed me time between stops to actually analyze what I was doing. Because um, for me, the golf course world was the hectic part. You know, as, as an assistant, I was cutting cups, hand watering greens, checking on the crew, all while trying to stay ahead of play. And I was flying through there like for the first four hours of the day. So that first year in lawn care was a break for me. But now that I own my business, I feel like I'm back to that hectic stage. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I think I think about, uh, uh, you know, when when trying to train employees to operate in that controlled level of chaos, the complexity that that takes. Um, yeah. And I, I firmly believe, and I could 100% be wrong on this, and I've seen enough uh, people out there on the internet that say, you know, oh, you can turn uh, a C employee to an A employee, and, you know, you got to do these kind of personal development steps with them. But in my opinion, and, you know, I'm a head case, self-admitted, <laughs> you know, plum nuts here, in my opinion, <laughs> you either got it or you don't. And and you can show them and you can explain it and 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 be the leader and the and the shining light and the example, but it's either gonna click with someone relatively quickly or it ain't gonna happen at all. And you gotta move mm-hmm. on from it. Did you experience that? Or are you experiencing that right now with hiring? So I, I, I feel like I always get lucky in life. The guy I hired, he was he's 48. He ran a tree and shrub program for another company for six years. He actually came from golf, has a turf background. Um, his wife is the breadwinner, so he literally gets to do a job that he just likes doing. And he goes out there, and while he may do things different than I do, and maybe I think I do things better than him, he goes out there and does things better than I do. Um, so I didn't really have to train him that much. Um, I know that that's going to come up in the next few people I hire. I don't think I'm going to get this lucky over and over again. Um, but so far, it's it's been great, and I can't complain about it. Ray, how would you grade your controlled chaos through the workday on a scale of 1 to 10? How would you rate yours? 
Okay. One being, you know, batshit crazy to ten being everything is uh, under control. I typically rate myself, you know, anywhere from a seven all the way down to a two. Two would be the day when something unanticipated or unexpected happens. Like a piece of and equipment I've got, and breaks? I've, that doesn't happen, Matt. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen. I'm talking about more master. like... No, it's more like the unexpected surprises like... Uh, a lawn crashes or somebody's irrigation system does something unplanned. But fortunately for me, that kind of doesn't happen very often because my main feature is that I am a control freak. Okay. I'm a control freak. And the reason why is because I don't like surprises and that's just, uh, that's just my life. Uh, I don't do well. <laughs> so I don't do well from a seven to 10. I, I'm not comfortable there. Like I feel like I'm being lazy if everything's a little too calm. Right. Actually, and Matt, that's, that's where for me, if I'm not between seven and ten most of the time, I really stop and reevaluate. I really stop so, and reevaluate. <laughs> I try to put so much on my plate, I don't have time to stop and reevaluate because then I'll get distracted and just like completely move on to something else. And I, and I would say like, and when I say move on to something else, I mean something really catastrophic. Like I'm not going to do turf anymore. I'm going to move into diamond refining or something you know like i'm gonna figure out how to make <laughs> jewelry or go blow grass or become a hacky sack player or something like that so i need a good bit of chaos to keep me engaged and 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 just distracted from the noise around me so i can stay hyper focused on what it is i have to do and so it, it sounds backwards. I don't know. That may be calming to some people, but I mean, it is like to me, like that is actually, I feel way, I feel like I have more control if there's more chaos going on on the outside than there is. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I have no idea what I'm saying, Ray. No, I feel the same way. I get it. Yeah, I feel the I same it. way. I feel like if there's chaos, it forces me to kind of focus more. I don't have that chaos. My mind wanders. And then I start thinking about all the other stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Brandon, didn't we have a conversation one day when you were like, I'm not having fun right now or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was, yeah. I think I was in the, a similar situation where I was saying some very encouraging things to like, yeah, <laughs> screw it all. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, part of it was, I think a lot of it had to do with that, uh, with that uh, group, you know, kind of mentality mm -hmm. that, that was taking place at the time. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that, <laughs> so, all right. So you go from, from that and now you, are you having a lot more fun with what you're doing than you were say, you know, three years ago? 
Uh, for me, I, th I think I am, but it's a different type of fun. So I, I do enjoy being on lawns. I do enjoy the process of evaluating a lawn, uh, walking around on it, talking with the customer. I never enjoyed the actual application of the products. Because uh, to me, that was kind of boring. Once I knew it was in my tank, what I was doing, um, I didn't really like that part. Now, most, most of my job is talking to customers, coming up with a plan for the lawn, um, and doing that kind of stuff. Um, and I definitely enjoy that more um, than just, you know, putting 20 lawns on the schedule and just banging them all out and then doing the same thing four or five days in a row. Uh, that to me just, it, it burnt me out. So now I get to kind of pick and choose what I want to do. I had to learn a lot of different skill sets, but I do enjoy it more. There's no doubt about it. There's something, um, it does become monotonous. I got to say, like, uh, it, it, during the spring, I enjoy treating lawns in the spring when it's nice outside, it's cool in the morning, mm -hmm. and, you know, and you're racing to hurry up and get your fungicides down, and it's no problem to work till dark. You know, well, you know, of course, it's only getting dark at like 6.30 anyway, right? And so, you know, you work till dark, and that, that, that last two acres that you do, you know, nobody's coming out and talking to you. You know, all, everybody that walked their dogs already back inside. And, you know, you got 10% battery left on your phone and you play your last three songs and you're done, right? You're like, man, that was a very fulfilling day. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. But there's something about like right now um, where the lawns are past their prime. Um, you're in that in-between stage where you're getting ready to seed them or for Bermuda, you're losing your light, right? And so there's a natural kind of decline and slowing growth that's taking place. They don't they don't have the same color that they did. You kind of get some weird variations in them. And, and of course, yeah, I think the customers are a little more hostile too, right? Because they're getting their sixth bill of the year or whatever it is. And, and then they see you on the lawn and they come out and they're like, what am I paying you for again? Or, you know, they have a bad day at work or something that fought with their spouse. And, they, and, and then, you know, that gets passed on to you. And it's, 97 degrees outside with a heat index of 102 and somebody just asks you why they're paying you and you know it's harder to keep that in check like for me at least yeah i completely Especially, agree is that not where you want i don't bother like, look at someone and your eyes cross <laughs> and you're like listen listen here you son of a bitch i don't want you to ever talk to me that you know like that's the the voices that are going on in my head and externally i have to be like I was here to do your next application and it's, this is actually going to improve things. We're losing light, but I, I, it's going to get better. We're going into dormancy. And as once we get into dormancy, everything's going to be good. And they're like, Oh, okay. And they turn around and go inside. Oh, man, thank you. please get out of my face. Kind of sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's that, it's that burn in the back of your brain that I don't miss that at all. Yeah. I, th I think the summer yeah. months from May to end of August is definitely the worst part of it. You're, you're like you said, you've reached your peak. You're kind of almost just trying to hold on or go downhill and you're not making a ton of improvements in those salons unless you're, it's a new customer and you're just trying to, you know, renovate the thing or just kill off, burn a whole yard off to get all the weeds out. You're just holding on to what you got and it's hot outside. You're kind of getting cranky. Um, so I completely agree with that mindset. Ray, what, how do you handle those situations when somebody comes out and says that? Let's just let's just get this out of the way, so everybody knows where you stand. You you, you really want to know, Matt? You know, yeah, I might as well. I no, you know what I tell people when I first meet them. I tell people, I don't terminate people over money issues, but 
I will bounce people in a second if they have a short memory on me. If they develop a short memory, they're gone. And yeah. that's my bottom line. And you know what? I, you know what I refer? You know what I'm referring to when I say a short memory? Uh, they forgot what the property looked like before you started working on it. Yep. If they don't remember that, uh, then uh, I don't. I don't need to be there anymore. That's just it. If they don't remember, I, <laughs> they're gone. I got to say that, you know, how old are you, Ray? 40? You just turned 46? No, I, I, I'm 49. I'm okay, 49. You just turned 46. Just... Hey, we'll just pretend like you're 46. <laughs> yeah. You're going on 46. Listen, if I was in this industry at 46, I think I would be the exact same way. I'm not sure how well I could handle it. Already, at, even at this point in my life, right? You know, I'm 34. At this mm -hmm. point in my life, I don't know how much more I could take it beyond right now. And the big thing Actually, for me, and I've said it before, being called the long mm -hmm. boy, right? That is the one mm -hmm. thing that would make my yeah. head pop off of my neck. That would, that would be like a no-go for me too. And oh, by the way, you think I was ornery and terrible now? I was already like that in my 20s. <laughs> I'm okay. not surprised. No, I was already ornery, and that orneriness was kind of fostered by my former boss because there was one time when the guy stood up for me. Here's the situation. I was treating a lawn because of just epic broadleaf weeds. It was Tiftdorf. It was in the winter. And this lawn was already on the edge because it had not been fertilized. It had been constantly mowed low. No, you know, and again, no fertilizer. And here I am dropping super trimec on it. The grass didn't react very well to that treatment. And guy calls up the office all hot-headed, pissed off. He said, hey, your guy killed the grass. And the boss calls me and he said, oh, so what happened? And I told him, you know, I took a look at this lawn before I started treating it. And it was obviously stressed and it looked like it needed fertilizer. And I told him so. And he said, I ain't paying for no goddamn fertilizer. You just spray the lawn. And I did. And so upon hearing this, my boss just turned to the guy and told him, you know what? Ray told you about the condition of this grass, didn't he? He told you it needed fertilizer. So you know what you do? You march down to Home Depot. You get a bag of fertilizer. You might need to get some fungicides because this grass is so stressed and otherwise don't ever call us back again good day <laughs> i can say that when i and i i credit this to uh, uh my boss in um in memphis Stu. what's up Stu? if you're out there in the world mm -hmm. somewhere 
he uh, he bugged out and retired, went to Florida or something at a relatively young age too. Um, he told me to stop taking crap off customers. Like, you know, and of course you know, we were running off real green, right? And I would always try and be really polite to customers. And, and you know, the way, the way our business was structured at the end of the day, you come in and you got your call logs from your customers and, you know, you call back whoever had questions or whatever. And, and he would read, you know, the ones that come, come, come in and he'd kind of jostle you a little bit and go, like, Oh man, you pissed off. So-and-so, you know, what did you do? And anyway, <laughs> I, I had this customer one time and I, it was like, Colonel Gilligan, I think was his name. And that was like, oh, his Lord. name on the account was Colonel Gilligan. It was something bizarre. Oh, like Lord. <laughs> and when I go out and meet this guy, I mean, he's on oxygen. He can't walk around the yard and he is an angry, angry guy. And he's telling me you can't come on this day because I got to have dialysis and you can't come on that day because that's when I do my breathing treatments and you can't come on this day for that reason. And it's got to be a Wednesday before 10 a.m. I'm like, are there any more rules that I need to be aware of kind of sort of thing? You know, and he's got like signs posted up over everywhere. No smoking, no this, no that, you know, because he's a he's a time bomb. Right. And I spent like an hour there while this guy grills me with questions and I spray the yard and I go back in at the end of the day and I had a call log. This guy said I didn't spray his yard or something like that. It was it was something very extreme. And I, you know, I'm flying off the handles in the office. I'm like, how can this guy say that? I spent an hour there and, you know, my boss is pulling it up on the computer and he's like, yeah, your GPS was there for an hour. That's crazy. You know, it's a 6,000 square foot yard. Why are you there for an hour? And I'm like, because the damn old man wouldn't stop talking to me. And so I call him and I'm trying to be all polite. You know, hey, Mr. Gillen, I was there. You know, you don't remember walking around with me? And he's saying, no, it's bullshit. No, you didn't. I'm not going to pay this bill, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, I think you're going to have to because that, 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 and I hear Stu start screaming from the other room. You tell that son of a bitch, you're going to pull his spleen out of his asshole. Do you hear me? I'm like, <laughs> you listen here. I will pull your spleen out of your asshole. You're going to pay this bill. Do you understand? And it was, yeah, it was, that was the first time like I, I realized it was okay to defend myself working for another company, right? Because Otherwise, I just let this guy push me over and be like, okay, I'll credit it, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, I don't want to get too, blah. Um, but Stu taught me to stand up for myself. Otherwise, I never would have in that scenario. <laughs> uh, Brandon, why Charlotte? That's what I got to know. Why Charlotte? You're, <laughs> you're from Florida, right? Yep. And then you went to Vermont. Well, right after college, the, the the girl that I was dating actually was from Vermont. So we moved up there, moved back to Florida. So we moved all around. And then with my my wife now, we she had lived in Florida her entire life. And it was between Charlotte and Pittsburgh. We chose Pittsburgh for a year because we we're like, why, why only move to Charlotte? Let's just go up north again. She had never seen snow. Um, so we moved to Pittsburgh for a year and she just didn't like it. So that Charlotte was like the second choice. I guess it's a pretty common trip too. Most people do go from south to north and then come back and they call it a halfbacker. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But Charlotte, we wanted something where there are seasons. Um, she likes the heat. I like the cold. Um, it just kind of worked out. I knew this was a great market for what I wanted to do. Um, and the stars just aligned and we just said, let's go. She didn't have a job lined up. And I basically was like, I'm starting a business and let's do it. First, I think literally the first day <laughs> I was down here, I was passing out flyers for the business. 
Um, that's funny. I got to ask, though, what was Vermont like? I don't know anything about that place. I feel like it's every stereotype you could imagine. Um, it's very laid back, not a whole lot of motivation going on there. People just kind of like just living there. Most people are generally happy, but there's not really a lot of work to do. Um, everyone loves skiing and snowboarding. It's a, definitely an outside community. Everyone hikes and does stuff. But for me, it was just a very too, I'm a laid back person and I don't need more of that. I need other people to kind of help me speed up more. So for me, it was just, it, it was not a long-term solution living there. Gotcha. It was great while it lasted, but I would never go back. Did you get into things like crystals and uh, horoscope <laughs> reading and that stuff? Like when I think of Vermont, and I don't know where this comes from, but I feel like that's what you do in Vermont is like you line your rocks up, you you study your horoscope and do You definitely this. met people that did that kind of stuff. That was not my cup of tea, but you definitely started to meet a bunch of people who who did that and the and it wasn't just that they did that that was normal it wasn't like people that are from there don't think that's weird i'm like this is normal <laughs> like yet yeah, you don't do this uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the weird wow one. <laughs> yeah uh and where are you from in florida um it's fort myers cape coral so it's about two hours south of tampa so it's southwest florida okay okay yep all right so, uh and so you, but you didn't start any of the golf stuff till you got to Vermont, right? Yeah. It, yeah. I had a de okay. yeah, degree in English and didn't even know we had a turf program and just, just randomly was applying for jobs and golf course happened to be it. Um, all right. Let's talk about your setup now. And I'm bringing this up because uh, Steve Willie brought up a great point. Um, give me an idea of what your truck build out is so I can either scrutinize it or give it a high five. So the hardest part, I think, for our, uh, we talk about this a lot, a few guys, Charlotte, because we do so much aeration and seating. It's and we have such tight streets that trailer is a non-option for us. Um, so right now, the plan is every every other truck is a fourteen foot bed dovetail with a spray spray rig in it. You can pull off during aeration and seating, and then you can drive your permagreen, your your stingers in there, and then every other truck is a dedicated spray truck, like a grand spray trunk, truck, three tanks, you know, three reels, three pumps. And then the idea is that during aeration seating, the guy in the spray truck would hop in with this guy on this truck and they would be a two-man aeration seating team. It's kind of the what we have figured out maybe is probably the best route to go because um, those spray trucks are so versatile, but when you're aerating and seating, they definitely don't do you any justice. Um, so that's kind of what we're, we're doing right now. Uh, do you run a uh, half inch hose? Is that, is that what that green hose yeah, is? That, yeah. Yeah. Oh, 400 Lord feet a half mercy. inch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why do you do that? I don't know. I guess I'm not out there anymore, <laughs> but, I, but we are replacing that. So we will go down to three eighths. But, um, yeah. Oh man. Oh. I, dude, your tech is going to be like this. He's going to be like, you're an asshole, first off. You are a <laughs> son of a bitch making me tote that hose around. <laughs> Ray, what do you think about yeah. half-inch hoses? Okay, Nat, you know, in the 1990s when I was doing those high-volume applications at high pressure, uh -huh. I had 5 sixteenths hose uh -uh. from Japan. Five, wait, 5 yes. sixteenths? So five sixteenths. That would be six eighths. So five sixteenths is a little bit smaller. So that that's that's nice. 
No, that that's that's small, but then because of the size of the hose, that is why I had that Japan triplex pump pushing five hundred PSI to yes. also maintain the volume at the other end of it. Sounds like a fog. Wow. Are you just misting everything at that point? It it wasn't a mist. It was a coarse but high pressure spray. Mm. It was a coarse but high pressure spray. It's a nice blast. But it could all, yeah, it it would get materials into the turf because in the 1990s, I didn't have the systemic insecticides and fungicides that we have now. Uh, Good point. I didn't have that. So, like for armyworm, back then, I'd be unrolling the hose and laying down either seven diazinon or turcam or orthine. Doing doing a little on the uh, a little carbaryl at eight quarts an acre kind of sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Seven four seven four L at <laughs> Brandon, I'm so happy to see you have the appropriate color green on the back of your truck so we don't have to have that conversation. Uh, (laughs) you still own one oh yeah i do i I got it in my garage right now in fact i fired it up not too long ago and uh and went and sprayed some tribute total where i got some (laughs) dallas grass coming back i got like three or four spots of it and i was like well i might as well ride around the permagreen and of course it started on the second pool so no issues (laughs) there what uh what pumps do you run so I have the GNC piston pumps because Golly, you and Russell yes, Skipper, exactly. the guys, always said those. So that's what I have them put those on everything. Yep. The only thing we have left to do is get you in some UT orange, and you are going to be. That'll never happen. Eight. Oh, this <laughs> son of a bitch here! This son of a bitch here! Uh, <laughs> um, the GNC pumps are great, though. Do you not? Do you not like it? Or, yeah, I've never had any issues with them. So, yeah, that's why I put them on everything so far. Um, but then again, I don't have as much experience as you guys, but I've never had an issue just putting oil in it and changing out the – yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I mean, really, that's it. You change the oil in it, and maybe, maybe if you, you dump a bag of rocks in it. And I always tell people that, you know, when I'm fanboying, it, fanboying for – uh, GNC. And it's funny now, even in the industrial applications, this is a true story. In the industrial world, uh, you know, the sales uh, channel is somewhat similar to having a, a distributor in lawn care, right? Like you go there with an idea of what you want to buy, but you end up leaving with something totally different and you're not sure why it's on your truck after all. Um, it's kind of the same thing in the industrial world where you, you're trying to buy something. In this instance, I was trying to buy a new pump, but I wasn't sure exactly what kind of pump I needed. So I asked for their expertise and I kept being sold these double and triple gear pumps. Um, and it's a, a very bizarre pump design. And, you know, it does not like anything other than like uh, a, a very, very pure, clean uh, uh, liquids, right? So if there's any sort of impurity in it whatsoever, you're just going to wreck this gear pump. So, um, and I'm like, I, you know, I really don't want to replace a gear pump with another gear pump because that's what failed on me before. And the internals are so expensive. Like, you know, for, uh, 
I can't remember how many gallons per minute it was. It was, you know, maybe like 20 gallons a minute or something. And it cost, oh, I don't know, like a thousand dollars for the two gears that go in it. And, you know, mind you, they're like four inch gears like this, but they're perfectly machined and all this stuff because they, they have to lock in together. And I was like, you know, what? I'm not paying a thousand dollars for uh, pump internals and I'm obviously going to destroy this again. I was like, I'm going to call GNC and see, can I run a GNC motor off? Uh, I mean, a GNC pump off an electric motor, right? And see if they can give me the specs to have the right RPMs and all that. And, you know, I installed that damn GNC pump and it is the most highly functioning machine we have in our building right now. I love it. I think they make a superior product in uh, in the pump world. And for all you people out there that are considering getting a uh, a first skid sprayer or, or even a, a next skid sprayer, test it out. See see what you think. It's not it's not going to be you know raise five hundred psi high pressure thing. Um, but not everybody be. is, is be doing that either. It can will you be run it that high? I, know, I never have. Yeah. Yes, you can. And you know what? All this talk about Gen C pumps is making me miss my spray rig from the 1990s because, Matt, I told you, that was the Maruyama triplex piston pump, which for all intents and purposes is a clone of the GNC pump. The the GNC pump is a clone of that Maruyama pump. And you're making me jealous because right now I'm running a Hypro D50 and I noticed that it struggles at higher pressures. Um, so, sorry, Ray. I got I got distracted because we've got <laughs> someone spamming the chat right now with some weirdness. So I banned the person uh, and got him out of gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, but then you talk about distracting. Really, I was like, who is this? I don't know this. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is that? Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, you're making me kind of, you know, nostalgic for my old days running that Maruyama triplex pump because the Maruyama pumps have no issues running at 500 PSI all day long. It just just doesn't bother them. And back then, I can't think of anything more gritty and impure than gallons of 7.4L. I mean that's a that's a gnarly product to push through a pump. Well, I think now is the appropriate time to talk about the permagreen because Ray, I have maybe sprayed carbaryl through my permagreen. How about I'm sure you have, sir. <laughs> I'm I'm sure you have, and it's kind of like uh People who like beer versus people who like scotch. I mean, uh, for me, uh, I would probably, if I had to do a writing spray rig, I'd probably throw on a GNC pump and put ceramic discord nozzles on the boom and go to town. <laughs> uh and clear some things up. William Augustus said you can buy the 500 PSI uh, Chinese knockoff pump is $150. Um, uh, the GNC pump, I 
think I paid everything to the door $530, maybe, I think. Something Sounds about like right. That. Yeah, it was, it was uh, not that bad. It was not that terrible. But these are, and... these are piston pumps, William. What you're seeing are, are probably not, I don't know, they may be piston pumps, but I don't know if they have the same flow rate as, uh, as what I have. So we'd, we'd have to do an apples to apples comparison. They do? Right. And by the way, in that, they do. Are they apples to apples? Here's the only 150 bucks. But here's what I heard from my buddies on lawn site. Those Chinese copies, the seal material is not the same as the Japan made pumps. So you run something a little gritty through them, the seals fail. They can't take things like I, I, I talked to one guy who was running bare ground mixes through one of those Chinese pumps. Apparently, it didn't like the diuron. So it it ate the seals and he had leaks. And I also want to clear up a couple things here. I'm getting some, some heat about the permagreen here. First off, William, the first thing I did to when when you're getting the perimeters, there's a reason why I moved my uh, my trim. We we refer to it as a trim nozzle. I moved it over my right tire, so that gives me a foot and a half buffer beyond my tire where I can hit things like perimeters and corners and that that kind of thing. And that was the smartest thing I did with that machine. Second, to the guy who said um, if if uh, I if a permagreen was the only way to make applications, he would quit. I'm guessing you have sensitive shoulders this is going to be my guess. <laughs> and if your shoulders are too sensitive to run a permagreen, we, we've got bigger issues at hand there, Hot Rod. We're going to have to do some push-ups together, sir. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The one excuse I Actually, will not take from people about a permagreen are their shoulders hurting. That requires us to do push-ups. And we have to make eye contact the whole time regardless of the jokes that come afterwards. Well, because uh, I don't know what would be so bad about that because I guess on areas that are not exactly accessible to my skid sprayer for whatever reason, I then have to go portable. <laughs> and if you have sensitive shoulders, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely toting around a, a, uh, an 80 pound backpack all day. Um, what kind of backpacks do you run, Brandon? I'm curious. Are you all battery powered? Yeah, we use all those flow zones and sometimes we treat them as like little mini skid sprayers. So they have that little Lesko nozzle on them. And now we're just training one guy in one motion. So he sprays a skid sprayer, pretty similar to how we spray his backpack sprayer. Um, we did that for the beginning of the year. We have somewhat switched over a little bit cause the, the pressure's not as good. So the weed control, we didn't know if it was as great. So we're using like just like an adjustable cone nozzle, which I used to hate because I hate you can't really calibrate them very well, but it seems to work better. We used to use like those AI nozzles, like T-Jet AI nozzles. Um, and they were great for me, but I feel like when you have an employee, something just simpler, like, hey, this is a gallon thousand. It's pretty close. Let's just do that. Brandon. Trusting, trusting people is mm -hmm. the hardest part of employee owner relationships Manage right? management mm -hmm. yeah. yeah management yeah 
that, that that's, that's, my, that's my big about that. Yeah, I feel like that would be my that would be my issue too. Is that you talk about how do you train somebody so that they're not going to make a mistake that's going to get you into trouble? That is like that's currently actually my hurdle is I have limited margin for error because yeah, and, uh, yeah. mistakes it, it's are tough. mistakes are fatal. Mm-hmm. And it's mistakes tough. And we did like, and initially with those first herbicide applications with your new employee. You know, you go at like an eighty percent, knowing I hate not running a full rate of herbicide, but you also at least want to get some confidence in them that they're not burning yards. So that that was the hardest part for me is dialing back the rates. So it doesn't burn long, but at the same time, you're really not getting the efficacy that you want. So it's that balance. Well, you know, and I, I've, here's, I've worked with here's it. it. Tr- Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> yeah. we, we were mumbling well, all over each other. Yeah, well, I, I've worked with and advised, you know, bigger operations than myself regarding, you know, applications. And what, I, what I've told them is if you want to teach a guy how to spray, I recommend that they do it with something like liquid nutrients or micronutrients. That way, the cost of a problem is not as great as a hot fertilizer mix. And then the worst that'll happen and what will become very instructional for that trainee is when that trainee sees the alternating, you know, green and yellow that's created by an uneven application. And then you you can show them the next week and say, you see this, this means that your application was not as even as it needed to be because it shows up. And even if you have like, say double applied areas, then oftentimes that'll show up as green areas that are even greener. So, you know, you can point to that, and then that's an example of something where a problem does not have a severe consequence to it in most cases. You know, just my two cents uh, and, you know, experience over the years. Uh, Brandon, let me tell you one of the things that would happen to me every year with bringing on new employees is they would come back at the end of the day, and there would be... 40 additional gallons in the tank that had been sprayed than they were supposed to spray. And that would get, or it would be vice versa, right? Where there's 40 additional gallons that weren't sprayed that were supposed to be sprayed. And I think both of those induce equal amounts of K of, of anxiety. I, I don't know which one is better or which one's worse, but it is yeah. gut wrenching. Yeah, I've dealt with that a few times. And one of the things I've learned, too, is like keep it simple, stupid, right? So typically a 300-gallon tank, if you're going out two gallons a 1,000, you're doing 150,000 square feet. Well, there's days where you're like, man, it'd be nice to get 180,000. So let's drop it down to 1.7 gallons, like drop the pressure nozzle down. Well, now he's spraying on two different pressures, and the next day he does the wrong pressure, and he either sprays too much or not enough. And that was – so. but as an operator, I, I just do whatever I wanted out there. I knew what I was spraying. I knew my calibration. I knew my, all my PSIs. I could just tell by the way it looked, but when you have someone else doing it and you're trying to, one day you're spraying at this PSI, the next day you're spraying at that, it gets confusing. Um, so just trying to keep everything super simple, not because they're not 
smart or they're, they're not that they're dumb or anything. It's just it get, it can get confusing. You take it for granted. I think you have this amount of experience and you take it for granted. Yeah, and you know, think about it too. Like this is where I would have to tell myself to slow down sometimes. Those spring days. You know, you get out on the first yard, it's 645, it's cool, everything is right. And man, like you, you're energized up and you could literally spray a 5,000 square foot yard in, in 90 seconds, right? And you have to tell yourself to slow down because like, you know, adrenaline's pumping, whatever you had, you know, you're whatever. And you get out there and, you know, just blast through the whole thing. And then you're back on the truck and you're like, wow, that was entirely too fast. And <laughs> that took a yep. while, even for myself to get beyond that and be like, okay, slow down. Or, you know, I'm going to crank the pressure up on this because, you know, I'm feeling like hot sauce today. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. And, so- then you always, and you always calibrate in the morning. So you're calibrating like you're, you're full of energy or, the, you know, if you ever do like a weekly calibration or something, but you're not calibrating for it, it's 95 degrees outside, it's three o'clock. You have three lawns left and you just want to go home and you're sluggish or whatever. So even a perfect calibration doesn't account for all that stuff. Well, oh, 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 dear. (laughs) Brandon Reinschmidt. This is Ryan DeMay. Ryan DeMay. This is Brandon Reinschmidt. How are you, Ryan? I know you have been dealing with real life stuff. So, well, okay. Uh, First of all, I want to say I do want to say a few things here. I, I do want to congratulate Brandon. This is uh, going way back. Oh uh, six, oh seven Buckeyes that went and played mm-hmm. his Florida Gators in the national championship and got absolutely curb stomped. <laughs> so go still feeling it? <laughs> oh, I feel it every day. I, I can still remember Teddy Teddy Ginn running that touchdown back. There's like yep. 14 minutes and 50 seconds to go in the first quarter, and that was literally the high point. That was literally the <laughs> high point. So, you know, I'll say this for the Ohio State fans out there and for especially for the people that hate Ohio State, right, is uh, old coach Woody Hayes has a saying. He says, uh, there's nothing that cleanses the soul more than getting the hell kicked out of you. And boys, that night, old herbs, he had our number. So, hey, <laughs> full, I, I'm, I'm a full, full uh, Buckeye fan. I'll admit defeat when it happens. So at least it wasn't like losing at Iowa or Purdue. Right. So we got that mm-hmm. going for us. Right. It, it was at least true. a worthy team. So, yeah, I'll say that, <laughs> uh, you know, I really I want to explain a little bit of my tardiness here. Um, so, Ray, I got to confide in you here. You'll you'll understand this. Right. So I was out mm-hmm. working the other day and I got caught in this really bad rainstorm outside. Right. Some might say a tropical storm almost. It was really heavy. Okay. And my feet got soaked. I mean, like absolutely soaked to the bone. So a few days later, I wake up and I look down at my feet and there's this like cottony, almost looks like, like, uh, mycelium on my feet. And I don't know what's going on. Lord, I'm like, I'm really freaked out. Right. So, you know, the first thing I think is, well, maybe it's athlete's foot and, you know, it would be disingenuous for me to say that I do anything athletic with my feet, just as it would be to say, if I take care of my lawn, I know how to run a golf course. Right. So what do Mm -hmm. I do? I go to YouTube, right? That's where I go to get my information. And, you know, I look up some stuff and I find some stuff about, you know, white stuff on lawns and how it came there. And I'm kind of embarrassed to tell my wife. So I tell her, well, Hey, you know, she's like, you got some kind of funk on your feet. What? what's going on here? And I said, well, you know, I've been washing one foot every day. 
I've been washing one foot every day and I've been washing one foot just three times a week. And that could oh. be something that has to do with it. So I go on the tubes and I find a doctor. Now this is Doc Shoals, right? You know what I mean, anybody who's a doctor on YouTube really knows their stuff, right? They're going to have the cure for what you need. So I go and I find myself a doctor, get old Doc Shoals, and you're right. You know what? I don't know if it works for what I'm doing, but I know it works and cures just about everything on feet. So what did I do, Matt? Boom. Tough acting, tenactin. I'm ready to go now, right? Because right. I've got right off the right off the old YouTube link, tough acting, tenactin. So I'm just going to end this real quick. This little this little thing I got going on here, and just say that if you know what I'm talking about and you found that funny, uh, thank you for being a subscriber or a Patreon member. Which J Pink, go ahead and plug that real quick. And if you found that funny but don't know what I'm talking about, please go ahead and join as a member, right? and get on the patreon and if you know what i'm talking about and you didn't find it funny thank you for your four dollars a month i'm gonna go take it and have a coke and a smile Brian, <laughs> that was such inside baseball i mean that was like it couldn't have been any more inside baseball than that i'm glad you're getting to enjoy keystone now by the way after after somebody will know up, somebody will know somebody that, will know that somebody somebody knows Somebody knows, Somebody and knows. Uh, we'll, Brandon, we will explain this in the show after the show. Uh, we're probably <laughs> not going to get too deep into it while on air because um, it could ruffle some feathers. Uh, okay. Uh, so, Ryan, I know you kind of missed the the first part of this. Applicator, Charlotte. Um, you've got aeration and seed seeding coming up. I'm curious, did you lock in your seed early? No. Um, I don't know if guys, I, so I don't know even how that works. I don't know of anyone here that locks it in that early um, and how, and if they honor that, even if it does get locked in. Um, but yeah, we got crushed with seed this year. Demay gave a funny look there. It is not yeah, common down south. You do not have your, you don't hear about this. Like, and a lot of times you go to your distributor and say that, and they're like, I don't even know what that means. Like, we haven't even started talking to anybody in Oregon yet. That well, is and super like, common maybe. down here. Yeah, I don't know of anyone Are who's ever down here locked in a seed price. Is there, so typically up here, they're selling on consignment, right? So, you know, they, they send it, they don't get paid. And I think uh, Ryan Nor talked about this in one of his videos about going out there at Oregon that, you know, it is kind of a weird business because, the grower doesn't necessarily get paid until the very end, until that bag of seed sells, right? So it's a very, very weird process in the way that goes, um, you know, to market and money comes back to uh, the grower and to the seed company and all that kind of stuff. So that is kind of weird, though. I mean, I guess, you know, because of the volume that they're buying, maybe, especially for overseed on ryegrass, maybe, that, you know, it is more of a commodity based price, you know, at that time. But, geez. Um, I also the thing think about a lot of. Go ahead, go ahead, Grandon. Go ahead. I was gonna say I think a lot of our distributors down here, uh, the bigger ones like Harold's, Howard, a lot of them deal more in the South, like with in Florida, where they're not dealing with as much seed volume. So I think that seed is not as big a part of their game. So I don't. Maybe they're not as ahead of it. They're not pushing it in terms of that early price locking. It is not. In, it's it. not sold on consignment here. I know that for a fact. I know for a fact that. 
I don't know, except for maybe one of the major players, uh, the, the other people that I bought from are not selling it on consignment because I have heard the conversations. Um, and I've got enough inside baseball there. Even some of the, the, the co-op group buyers are paying it outright on the front end and then the distributors are buying it from the co-op. And I'm not saying like Tennessee Farmers Co-op. I'm talking about like the in-industry distributor co-ops. You know the types that I'm talking about, Ryan. Yeah. So I guess the other thing too is, um, you know, it, it, you guys fill me in because I, you know, for me, I'll, let me let me come at it from my angle. Is you know, Ray uh, Ray always talks to us about sod prices out there and how ridiculous they are. You know, five dollars a square foot, mm-hmm. which makes sense for where they're at, supply, demand, all that kind of stuff. Now, me, you know, on bigger projects and things like that, like, uh, you know, we're talking about six and seven figure projects that I'm not going to lose my mind if seed goes up, you know, 50% even, right? Because it's such a mm-hmm. small component. And, you know, again, the most expensive supply you'll ever buy in lawn care is cheap seed. So um, you'll always be chasing piss poor quality seed. You know that. We all know that. And so I just, you know, wonder from the lawn care side, and Matt, you jump in here and Brandon, like, of that cost, right? You got a cost per thousand or cost per acre, whatever it is. What percentage of that is seed, right? And where is there enough wiggle room in there that, you know, I guess this year's maybe more timing than anything, right? Because seed prices started creeping up after maybe you were locked in on pricing with customers. I mean, where where are you guys stuck in this whole thing? Help me out here on the long care so, side. Typically, I'm I'm usually about twenty percent is my cost on seed in terms of my aeration and seeding price. That factors in. Uh, the aeration side, the seeding side is about 20%. So with last year, seed being $64 a bag is what I paid. And this year we're at about $100 a bag. And some guys are getting quoted at $120. Um, it's definitely a big jump. So I guess most guys, I think, are going to experiment with lower rates of seed. They're going to experiment with bumping up prices. And also the fact that we've had a decent summer, all things considered. So maybe we can get away with a slightly lower seed rate, maybe a half a pound or a pound less per thousand over the course of 500 customers, you bump your prices up a little bit and it ends up kind of even itself out. It's kind of how I'm looking at it. There is a yeah. lot in kind of carousing and perusing. Yeah, I think, you know, 20%, 20 to 30% is pretty much what you're going to see. Most lawn care guys, uh, what their seed budget is as far as their total lap. So, um, with the way seed prices have gone up 40%, it gets really, really scary. Um, I would say without a doubt, there are some um, inverted uh, peckers right now of people walking around. That being said, you know, you carouse around the, uh, the darker places of the, of the internet with, uh, with the, and let me make this very, look at this son of a bitch is back spamming. Are you seeing the comments down here, Demay? Look at this. Hot, gr- hot girls and boys yes. in the chat. I, I oh have my. to question their over, over, overuse of exclamation points. That's. Uh, I think I know <laughs> who that is. Are they I on PCP? Fell out of my chair. Angel dust. I didn't know you like to get wet. And he. <laughs> Here's here's a lot of the, the and I think this is a you know if you join a a uh, like a, you know I'll talk about the professional lawn care applicator group right and there's 
you know, you, you join this and there's definitely a few guys in there that have, you know, really big companies and can offer you a lot of, you know, fantastic advice. But what you see is the most vocal aspects of it are the guys who are one truck shows, you know, maybe a, a truck and a half kind of sort of thing. And, um, and you, that's where you kind of see the discussion around like dropping seed rates and stuff like that. I don't think the bigger guys are going to discuss that in a public way at all. You know, they, they'd have all those conversations internally, but they also have the purchase power to be able to, you know, do things like approach in a distributor and be like at the start of the year that I'm going to pay this much for seed and that's how it's going to be. And if you raise my price over it, then I'm going to go to the guy down the road and I'm going to make him the same deal until somebody accepts my money on it. And that'll just be the end of the story, right? So um, I think the big where the the guys that are taking the biggest hit on this right now are the people that don't have the free cash at the start of the season to go out and shop for it because it's not presented to them. They have to go shopping for it. They have to go looking for it and, and create that kind of program for them. And, uh, and unless you have the cash to do it, it's difficult to do that, right? But I also think uh, for guys like me, there's also an opportunity too, because they also say the supply is going to be limited, right? So those guys that are offering the aeration for super cheap, they're probably not going to get their seed. They're, the, the fertilizer distributors are going to give it to the guys who are ordering 10 pallets of seed. So I bought an extra pallet and a half, even though it's way more expensive, knowing that bet you end of September, I'm going to get a, a lot of guys signed up for a fertilization weed control program and aeration seeding because they can't get their provider to even get them seed. So I always that try to I do my best to look at opportunities, even though it sucks that the price has gone up, you got to find something. Well, and yeah, you got a chance to upsell them too and basically say, Hey, this is, this is where it's at. I'm not locked in on price, right. Relative to where mm -hmm. it was before. And yeah, yep. I mean the downstream stuff of this really is, uh, you look at sob production right now and where that's going to go, that's going to get crazy, right? Because you know, and now we're talking about you know, the seed price goes up forty percent. It's about the same for sod growers of of what you guys are talking about in that twenty to thirty percent range. And so there ain't a whole lot of profit eke out the other day unless you have a premium product. And none of these guys are growing slouch grasses, which means stuff's going to go up, right? And so if I can't get tall fescue, or if I can't get rye, let's say you're probably going to see more Kentucky bluegrass going out the door, right? Um, and so I think it's just all around, this is going to unravel and, and turn into a mess. And I think this is really uh, from the lawn care side, me outside looking in, right? And, you know, this is about as close and maybe some of the people I deal with, to, you know, to help out in consulting and stuff like that, a little bit on the lawn care side, uh, that's about as deep as I get into it. But it's going to be the folks that really know how to price stuff, right? They're going to come out in 22 and have success. It's going to be the people that are guessing, right? And not knowing what what their results are, not being able to back it up and say, hey, listen, guess what? Yeah, for fine turf, yeah, you're going to pay 25% more, 40% more for that seeding job. But you know what? Here's our results from last year. Here's our competitors' results. What do you think about them apples, right? Because I'm sure you guys are growing great grass. And so that's, that is also going to be something I think that sticks in the mind of consumers is just how good can you uh, grow in that new turf? So mm -hmm. something to consider, something to think about, but uh, I don't know. Brandon, it's, uh, it's not going away. A couple of questions here. Of course, everybody wants to know what seed you're going out with this year, but before then they said, give us the plus or minuses of the stinger. What do you think of the stinger aerator? 
Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Honestly, can't think of any minuses right now. I mean, it fits in the 48 inch gate in terms of my business. So it fits in gates well. Um, the plugs that has the time pressure. So you can, you know, increase the pressure on hard ground. You can decrease the pressure when it's wet outside. So you're not making a mess. Um, obviously it seeds everything really well, except for the edges. So if you like in Charlotte, we have a lot of 7,000 square foot lawns with a lot of landscaping rocks, um, stuff like that. A lot of the edges you can't hit. So you still got to like hand seed the edges. Um, so you just can't be lazy with it and just run the stinger over the seed box and skip all the six inches around all the edges. Um, it's haven't had any breakdowns other than a few flat tires. Um, definitely worth, I would pay way more than they cost now to, to buy them, even though they're more expensive than at the competition. It's like one of those things where it's like, as a lawn care company, I try to provide a better service for a much higher cost. The Stinger's the same thing. It's like, I'll pay whatever it is because it's the best thing on the market. I don't really care. That's interesting. All right. Now, what seed are you going out with this year? So this year, as much as I would love to go to Southern Seeds or one of the big guys like that, that have probably the best seed out there, their quote was insane. So I'm using my local distributor, Howard. I mean, they, they do good seed. Um, we're definitely, I reject anything that's not zero, zero. So then my guy knows that. And like, if he comes in and tries to drop off something's not zero, zero, we reject it. Um, but it's just, uh, just a typical three-way fescue blend. But I would love to go on with Southern Seeds this year. It just pricing was insane you know i need to get triple threat chris, is what i was looking for i need to get chris and pat Irwin on this show and tell them mm-hmm. i said that i would love to have them on i won't fight with them i promise not too vocally at least it would be out of love not out of anger and uh, and so put that out there to them uh, next time you see Chris, tell him I would love to have him on the show. I'm not going to be well, I'm playing golf with him tomorrow, time. so I'll let him know. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Tell him to bring Pat on too, and Pat can be extremely passive aggressive, and we'll have a fantastic time. Uh, that goes way back, by the way. It's, it's super inside baseball there. So the those two guys, uh, they they work for Howards, and um, I have a, a a a very sharp ability of making distributors angry. Um, and boy, did, did I get into some <laughs> real doozy with those guys for no reason at all. I mean, I just, I would just pick a fight to pick a fight. Um, another question here is, are you seeing FERT prices up 25%? And, uh, if you're not, are you prepared for that coming? Because that is coming. From what I've, cause we're mostly, uh, liquid and most of the stuff I bought was in the spring. From what I'm seeing now in terms of like starter fertilizer, what we bought for, 16, 17 bucks a bag is now about 20. So I would say almost 20%. Um, that's what we're seeing. I obviously expect that to keep going up. Um, apparently every time a new price comes in, it's always 10 cents, 25 cents uh, extra. So I think it's just going to keep going up. Yeah. And I would say someone like Howard's is probably sitting on some pretty good uh, commodity contracts uh, to be able to, um, you know, they're, they're probably holding DAP that was bought before the big uh, price increases that have shown up over like the last month. Um, so, you know, one thing to keep in mind right now, and this is, you know, more so just for the listeners than everybody else is that uh, over the last uh, four months, uh, not even that long over the last three months, uh, fertilizer prices are year over year are up almost a minimum of 50%. So, um, you know, urea right now is landing from 
you know, a, a distributor that is bagging, you know, just straight urea right now, you can expect to pay a wholesale price of somewhere around $800 a ton. If it's a Uflex or a Umax, you're going to be at $1,100, $1,200, $1,400 a ton. That's just the way it is. If you're buying just DAP right now, you're paying over $1,000 a ton just for DAP. If you're buying MAP right now, you're probably paying $1,100, $1,200 a ton for just MAP. Get ready. 0060 potassium chloride, muriate of potash right now is being sold by the 50 pound bag. If it is right now, current commodity price, you're paying almost a thousand dollars a ton. So to put that into perspective, that was about $500 a ton. And now it's at a thousand a ton because of the, uh, the tight supply and, uh, and the production that's coming out of the mines right now. It's next to nothing. So if anybody out there is not experiencing it right now, get ready. Um, you know, get on your A game. Understand uh, you, what 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 changes you're going to have to make or what you're going to have to stay on top of. And if you don't understand the numbers in your business, Brandon, you made a good or uh, Ryan, you made a good point about um, people who understand how to price things will be successful moving into this. What I see happen is. And, you know, somebody told me this is that a lot of the guys that get into this thinking that um, uh, they're going to start their own business, they take what they learned at their previous company, including their price sheet. So, you know, where they came from True Green, they came from Scott's. They got a 5,000 square foot yard. They're going to spray it for 50 bucks. They got a 10,000 square foot yard. They're going to spray it for 70 bucks. They got a 15,000 square foot yard. They're going to spray it for 80 bucks because that's right off the True Green price sheet. And then what ends up happening is it doesn't work after you add an employee or two. Uh, it doesn't work when you start aerating and seeding uh, at, at the prices that you're used to there, right? Where you're doing, uh, you know, a 5,000 square foot yard for $110 kind of sort of thing. Because you're talking about two totally different business models. You're talking about two totally different purchase power setups. Um, and and then you you are like, not only am I not having fun, I'm also broke. <laughs> Why don't I have any damn money? Mm -hmm. I definitely think most guys here don't know how to price. Look in the, like the lawn forums that we're reading, how do guys price their applications? And they're looking at things like, and my, so I have a very different view. A lot of guys are looking at their overhead and they want to figure out how much margin they want. My thing is that none of that matters. The only thing that really matters is what will the customer pay you? You want to charge as much as you can to get the closing rate that you want. So if you want to close 70% of your accounts because you want to grow, um, you want 30% of people to say, no, that's too high of a price. So you price it and you keep pushing the limit and you obviously have to provide the value. So if people are saying no to you too much, then you need to either provide more value or lower your price. It's this whole game that you're playing and just trying to figure out where you want to be in that. It's too, I think too many guys yeah. just say, what's my overhead? And I want to randomly make 15% margin. Like the customer doesn't care about yeah. any of that. Yeah, Fantastic they, they have point. no care. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, yeah. They, they care not about your expenses. And those are the people that you actually want to kick their ass to the curb right from the start. Because you don't want them. Because they don't value what you do to begin with. So it's best you send them on their way already. Because like what I do is 
I just set prices such that no matter what happens, I mean, zombie apocalypse, whatever, I'm still covered, right? Uh, fertilizer goes up. Uh, price of chemicals goes up. I'm still covered. It's not a matter of me thinking, for example, you know when you know when my fertilizer apocalypse happened, guys. That was back in I believe uh, oh, wait. 2008. Yeah, because that's when my price of things like twenty 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 doubled on me. Uh, potassium nitrate doubled on me. Uh, AMS went up to you know twenty something dollars for fifty pounds, but that didn't mm. put me in a tizzy because I was priced appropriately at that point already. So it didn't bother me. I could keep on doing what I what I was doing and not, you know, have to cut corners or sacrifice anything. See, I, Ray, you really you know opened up something there because uh, for me, I always thought your pricing strategy was you just showed them a slideshow of all the pictures like you have behind you each week, and then you went in there and just <laughs> smacked it on the table and said, "Here it is, boys." You know, you like it? You like it? You do like no. it. And you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna pay for it. Yeah. So, well, it's so a, a few. A few things there, I, Ray. I'm also in the same boat where, um, when I'm building out programs, and and Brand will understand this from the golf course days, right? Your budget should be your worst case scenario on a golf course, right? If everything, if if, if I mean, it doesn't always work out that way because sometimes they're like, hey, you know, it's the middle of the year and we're not doing so hot, so you need to cut ten percent on your budget. And you're just like, you kidding me? Are you really kidding me right now? But um. I do it the same way in terms of uh, pest vert stuff. Like I would rather, you know, at the end of the year for my clients and set a budget and then give money back. Right. And say, Hey, listen, like skirted through, we were low disease pressure or, you know, we were able to um, really fine tune our PGR program and, you know, save a little bit of money on fertilizer here and there. Like it's minuscule amounts right here and there, but those add up, you know, it's like, that's what I always tell folks is like, if we do this right, it's going to be a whole lot of pocket change that adds up at the end of the year to a fairly substantial sum of money. Now, you know, like right now, Ray, we got fall armyworms in Ohio. Can you believe that? <laughs> fall army, yeah, fall I... armyworms are currently decimating. I'm talking destroying cool season turf here in Ohio right now. And nobody has okay, ever seen and, these things before. And you know what? I'm hoping that uh, various lawn care operators have in their budget uh, the ability to throw down something like a Celeprin or Dilox because I know something about these hordes of army worms. Mm hmm. They basically, if you spray them with bifenthrin or tempo or even lambda cyhalothrin, yep. they just keep going and they have both middle fingers raised to you. Yeah, I've learned a lot about them in the last uh, uh, 72 <laughs> hours. So, uh, yeah, it is interesting, mm -hmm. but... More so from the budgeting side of, you know, going to a client, you know, in my case and saying, 
hey, listen, uh, well, you know, let's just say that we're using uh, a Celeprin, you know, let's just call it uh, like 160 bucks an acre or so, something like that. Okay. So do I go, uh, Ryan, do I go and tell them, hey, yes. You do have an out, though. If it is, I think, non-residential turf, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, the cheapest pesticide for armyworm on non-residential turf is orthene. Oh, boy. Orthene. Yeah. Yep. Orthene. It. But uh, I'm not but, sure if that's legal on sports fields because my I'm last not, understanding of yeah, because my last understanding of it is that it's okay for golf course and sod farm turf. I'm not sure if it's okay for sports for sports turf because up until the latest RED on it, I used to use that for residential armyworm and cinch bugs quite a bit. So and it just I was epic. Not, yeah. <laughs> Epic. Oh, I can imagine. Bi- <laughs> Bifen works okay here. I mean, it'll do the job. But a Celeprin, obviously, you know, a much higher cost, but still in the grand scheme of things, right? I'm able to go to folks. Efficacious. And, and one, it's, already, it's already in their budget because mm-hmm. there's, there's a, I want to say a fudge factor, but there is a, uh, the oh shit line item is in there, right? Who knows what mm-hmm. that'll be? Who knows if it'll even be used, but it's in there. And rather than me going, and having that conversation with, hey, we need more money to treat this pest that's going to destroy, you know, your field. It is, hey, we had an issue. We took care of it. I took it out of this line item, and this is where we stand. That's a lot easier conversation to have, right? And, uh, you know, I had somebody call me today and ask me, you know, should they do it or should they, you know, should they not do it with um, a celeprin in particular? That was their kind of quandary. And, you know, the conversation went, well, let's say two-acre field here. 160 bucks an acre, $320 or, you know, especially with seed prices, what's it going to be to overseed and what's going to be your success rate in season of doing that right now? Or let's just say that it's absolutely devastated and you don't have time to grow it back and you got to go out and sod areas and things like that. What's the overall cost there? So 320 bucks plus the labor to me, pretty cheap insurance, right? And I don't think people think of it that way sometimes. And that's where you got to put the way you got to put it to customers sometimes. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's got to be a tough situation for all the LCOs here. I've had a bunch of people reach out, and uh, yeah, not something that uh, was expected, forewarned, or really anything. I think for most folks that weren't following them, uh, working their way north with some of the hurricanes and um, weird weather, weird tropical weather we've had here uh, as of recent. Just by the way, but, Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. I can tell you what I call armyworm weather it is prolonged heat followed by rain and then the rain stops and then it warms up again and that's when the armyworm comes out in force and that's literally when i'm checking how much dialogues do i have you know around (laughs) just saying (laughs) i hear you ray i hear you so uh, yeah you know just (laughs) Brandon, how do you handle this situation? What are the, what are the, you know, let's just say it is something that's unexpected. Uh, you know, how do you have those conversations with customers? How do you have those tough conversations with customers? It's, you know, it is uh, 
Pythium or something something else that's you know very quick onset, very devastating, right? To either on the front side of it, try to prevent it, right, and let them know if you know here's the uh, risk to opportunity, right? You know, mm-hmm. and on the back side, let's just say it does happen. Uh, you know, how do you have that conversation? Say, hey, here's what happened, and because I think it's a tough one. I think a lot of people approach it kind of sheepishly sometimes when it's when it's something that's so quick like that and so devastating and Mm -hmm. i find that a lot of times being honest up front but what do you see in your business so so it's funny you bring up pythium i was watching one of your guys's uh, past videos as well where you guys were talking about leaf spot and pythium i think with maybe paul or nate um where you're talking about a fungicide program and as an lco trying to cover all these diseases and it's pretty much it's almost not it's, it's not possible at scale right maybe if you had 50 lawns um, you could be scouting for Pythium and you can do all this stuff, but how we deal with it, right or wrong, is we have 50% of our customers have a fungicide program. They pay for it, and I call it a brown patch disease program. It's not a we cure all disease program. You know, we're hoping, we, we have pretty good control over brown patch. We don't really see much breakthrough. We'll call it 1%. And we have maybe 14 days of gray leaf spot coverage. So between 14 and 28 days, that's a tough situation for us. Um, and then mm-hmm. Pythium is, is the big one. Um, and it typically, I'd say 99% of the time, it happens on a recently renovated lawn or a newly sodded lawn in the spring. Um, and by time a customer tells you, their lawn's already wiped out, right? So it's I definitely am honest with them. I tell them what's going on. But at scale as a company, it's just, I don't know what we can do about Pythium. And I would definitely be curious about any kind of answers. We do have Mephanoxum on the shelf, but by the time we're called, I mean, what are we going to do? Um, so yeah. it's just, unless someone wants to pay for fungicide apps every 14 days, and even then you're still going to get, probably going to get Pythium breakthrough. Um, I just don't know that there's a good, re, good, good way to deal with it other than just being honest and saying what the issue was, tell them that it was actually a disease, not just kind of like lie to them. Like some people say, oh, you just overwatered. Well, no, that was Pythium. <laughs> you got a big giant rainstorm, you know, your drainage grates right there. You can see the flow of water. Everything's just decimated where the, where the drainage grate is. Um, but it, it is a tough call. And I'd be curious to see if you guys had any um, advice for that gray leaf spot and Pythium window when you're not really covered. God, <laughs> I mean, there's, uh, you know, we always talk about, you know, disease triangle and all that stuff. And man, short of cutting down trees or something like that, or, installing a fan and even that sometimes isn't enough i mean on business <laughs> golf courses right mm-hmm. uh let alone a yeah. home on situation it is a tough uh, those are two tough diseases to do a ton to control culture now greatly spot you need know, a little bit with fertility on the front end of the summer and you know just be really mindful of weather conditions when they do present themselves and mm-hmm. i guess with pythium the same thing is like I, you're right at scale it'd be tough to bounce around to you know, 20 disparate accounts that are all over town just to cover them with methanoxum or phosphites or a combination of both. Like that's just mm-hmm. it's not a very, it's not a very profitable model, even if, you know, there's, they're in for it every two weeks and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately, if, the, if, it, if it were me and, you know, again, uh, I would look at, uh, oh, just like a golf course. Right. So, you know, I've worked at some places with just didn't have the budget to spray methanoxum like everywhere that they would want to, right? So you'd go do, you know, drain basins and, you know, wooded holes that didn't have a lot of air movement and things like that. 
Same thing with some of these lawns, some of these accounts that you have. You might just say, hey, listen, your lot. I've seen Pythium out here and I've seen it every year for three years, right? You, if you don't want to see this, should be on this program, right? And then mm-hmm. you tell everybody else leading up to that that, hey, listen, we'll scout, we'll do whatever, we'll try to keep historical records of what we see here and offer that opportunity later on. And in the meantime, you know, there's no sense in paying for, nor can we provide the service of being here at your beck and call every time it gets hot and wet together in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is probably very frequently. So, yeah, um, you know, on on the approach of, of everything, I think we've talked about this on here before, but my, my whole thing in lawn care is like low, medium, high. And I think that's where sort of where you were going with your uh, program is, you know, um, I'm reading because I I typed this out for somebody one time is, uh, you know, the low one is just pick the baddest MF you're going to deal with and just worry about that. Right. So your fungus, so brown patch, right? Your whole program Mm -hmm. in this is just geared towards brown patch. And we're going to stop that. We're going to rely on good cultural practices for everything else. Cross our fingers. Right. Mm -hmm. And you let people know that's what the expectations are. That's what the outcome is on the medium side. You know, you're going to add maybe a few other, basic off-patent fungicides, right, to the mix to maybe cover a few other things, broad spectrum, and again, rely on good cultural practices after that. Last mm-hmm. one is you add, you know, the high one is you're adding in, you know, some big-time agency products and expensive stuff that you know is going to work, right, on on very specific things. So now if we're worried about a third disease here, you know, so outside of leaf spot and brown patch, maybe it is pythium, and maybe we're getting into mephanoxum or Segway or something like that because this person has, you know, ultra high expectations and we're able to deliver on it, right? Uh, given where their account is or locations, all that kind of stuff. Maybe there's one whole neighborhood that's just all in on their lawn. So I don't know. I think it's tough. You're right to do it scale. Um, maybe there's a, uh, maybe there's a, a niche market for, um, you know, uh, we're, we're Steve Wiley. Uh, the, uh, jizz aisle mopper cleanup guy that just goes around <laughs> subs for different lawn, just subs for mm. subs for lawn care companies in the charlotte market and just does all their uh preventative fungicide apps right just bouncing all <laughs> over town seriously yeah. that might be a thing mm-hmm. all right is it matt, is it matt, ryan matt matt can you see my truck rolling down the road with like a bunch of you know 3d white stuff drawn on it jizz mopper lawns <laughs> I think I think it would be I think it would be a hit. I Steve, Steve Willie Wy- would be out there so Willie, uncomfortable. He would be my first franchisee, no doubt about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> we wear we'd wear instead of instead of like regular ball caps, we wear a ball cap that has a reservoir tip. That would be our calling card, you know? So Wait, wait a minute. I that, like that would be what you you like that you that would be like what you said about granular fungicides. Oh right? boy! <laughs> I think I think Brandon Brandon has been on the Discord long enough to have seen and read that, so there's no need to repeat that on air. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read that. He, he remembers that, yeah. but but seriously, uh, if somebody had a a pisium known pisium issue, cost goes up. I mean, if you don't want to be decimated by Pythium, you're going to have to put in the money because with Pythium, I foresee, for example, my program in the fall 
starts throwing Aliette in the tank monthly. Yeah, you which know, year would be like Yeah, yeah. My mine would be from October until May. It's Aliette time for me. Yeah. Plus a uh, plus an SDHI plus a a, a Strabulurin plus a you know. Let's see the thirty three thirty six plus a DMI. That's uh, that's my life from October till May. Because I have Ray I have the invoice. Ray just out here sending those for those four figure invoices every visit. <laughs> no, but but then that is that is like because I have the inverted disease season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's completely flipped. I mean, you might as well live in Australia, just like I live in Canada. Right, right. Like I'm so far yeah, south I mean, that I might, might, I might as well be in Australia, right, Matt? If you, I'm so when, far south. If you when your when your voice text can't pick up what you're saying because it hears <laughs> Yankee slang, then you know you're in Canada. That's all I'm saying. I think <laughs> it caught an A at the end of what you were saying. I thought it caught an A, and then it 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 called. It I don't even know else. what it said. I can't. I just need to move my lips when I talk. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to attribute that to the. I'm just going to attribute that to the Pythium on my feet. You know. So. All right. Oh, uh, before, yeah. Before we move into the last one here, uh, last question that I want to ask, and I think this is going to be kind of up for debate. Um, I just want to say that if you go to thegrassfactor.tv, I've added a, or J Pink has added a section actually called Tools. And you can go over there. You can find, of course, an application planner to, uh, based on the, uh, and, and this is basically just a, a redesign, a little bit easier free flow of the climate appraisal form from Pace Turf. So they're the ones that designed this and built it. And, uh, and I just put it here. Um, and then also, if you're interested in, uh, for the applicators out there that are interested in trying to save a few bucks, uh, I built a little database here of what I call the Roll Your Own Database. Um, it is, I'm collecting your information to get it because I don't want you to come back and say, uh, oh, you know, I mixed uh, a 2,4-D and, and dicamba formulation in a five-gallon bucket with no water, just mixing concentrates, and it started putting off some gas in it, and it, and it killed the, the neighborhood dog. <laughs> I don't want to get sued for that, so... I'm going to reiterate it right here. Like it says right there, do not mix pesticide concentrates. Always mix into water. And I'm going to make you confirm that when you hit that, get, uh, get the, the herbicide database there. It is not for average people. That is for the people that know what the hell they're doing. Um, is, and then is that, the last uh, is that What's it? I was just going to ask. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to ask if you did that 2,4-D dicamba trick. I was listening a little bit earlier before I got on. Would you do that with your mesothelioma guide on the second app? <laughs> good idea good idea well well played sir here you can roll your own there ain't gonna be no spoken though poncho all right go ahead <laughs> sorry I, I'm, I'm full I'm, I'm, I'm hot tonight <laughs> and then the last one is it's just a presentation on pre-emergent programs and uh trying to mitigate herbicide resistance especially with pre-emergence you know i watch spectacle every year uh, showing more and more issues, and I think we need to get out ahead of these things. So uh, feel free to check that out, uh, that presentation out as well. Uh, hopefully, you take something away from it. All right, this is going to be the last question before we move on to the show. After the show, are army worms going to kill cool season grass to the point of needing to be entirely repaired, or is it just going to create enough aesthetic damage that with 
uh, and a, a quickly applied fertilizer, you're going to be able to get it leafed out because we've got a very short, shallow root system right now, but we are losing daylight hours, which is, you know, to the advantage. Hopefully we're on a cooling trend soon. Is the grass going to recover or is it going to have to be fully reestablished? Whoever wants to take it first, go ahead. I want to hear opinions and theories. All right. I'm going to, my, my Yankee ass will go first, right? <laughs> I think this is only the second time I've seen these things, right? And I'm going to tell you, like, the populations I, I've seen, I don't know. Ray, tell me if this is right. So I'm out. Um, I know that they're here, right? Go out and do a soap <laughs> flush on a couple areas and a few pop up, like nothing, nothing crazy, right? And then I go over to some uh, areas that were not treated preventatively with Imprelis way back when, and the populations are higher. And then I walk over, there's a synthetic turf field, like right next door to this. And I'm not kidding you boys. It is like the turf is moving. There are so many of these things on here. And you look Which on is down, normal down to the me. way. The birds are going nuts. I mean, there's there's got to be 200 birds as I look on down. And they're just munching these things up. Wasps. And I'm like, oh, it, it's nuts. So, it's nut- again, <laughs> all, I underst- all I understand is that, um, and it makes sense, newly seeded turf. Uh, I had somebody tell me, uh, this is just today that hey, I seeded my lawn a month ago. It was looking great up until Tuesday, and then it was just gone. You think it'll come back? No, I don't think it'll come back. <laughs> newly seeded lawn. No. And also, why did you seed a month ago? But whatever. Um, whatever. Yeah. That, you can't, can't even can't even do that in Canada. Like that's just wrong, right? No. I mean, that's great like leaf spot. We're taking it out anyway. So he deserved to lose that yard. <laughs> 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 probably didn't pay his bill either um <laughs> i was thinking i can't i'll have to ask that question later on in the after show that's more of after show content but um yeah i think on established you know from what i understand and what i've been told the people that have way more experience than i do with these pests that you should be okay for the most part you know as long as it doesn't uh get to the crown and then you just like grub damage ray right you know, we want to make sure right. that we continue to hydrate that. So when it's on unirrigated turf, it could be really tough to recover. But if you're irrigated, you can get water to it, you know, keep that crown hydrated and let it push more uh, leaf tissue back out. You got a fighting chance. Randall, what have you seen down yep. there? Is it is this a major problem in the Charlotte area? I mean, how much do you no. deal with these things and what kind of what are the worst case scenarios you've seen down there? Yeah, in the last three or four years, they've been def- they've definitely been a big problem. I don't see them because we do put out a celeprint, and they are they, the biggest problem tends to be South Carolina. We're on that border of North and South Carolina where we have all the Bermuda yards. You know, we don't typically see them in fescue. It doesn't mean they're not there, uh, but typically the summers are so harsh on fescue here. When you're trying to go fescue in 95 degree heat, the sandy loam soil that doesn't dr- that we might not get rain for two weeks. Usually, lawns don't look the greatest here in the summer, anyways. So I think. A little armyworm damage is probably not our biggest concern on fescue or cool season grass. We'll usually just see it all down in South Carolina, um, but I've never had an issue with it. But a lot of people who don't spray a celeprin definitely are fighting it right now. And in the golf course, right, when I was down in Florida, we never, we never, we always did everything preventatively. So we always saw some. Like in the morning, we go pick up the T markers, and they're always underneath the T markers or something. Um, we'd always see them there, but we never really had any issues down there either because everything was preventative. So Ray, I, 
just real quick, I was going to say I read on um, uh, the NC State turf files that for the most part, if if it is established, it should recover. But I'm again, I'm just throwing that out there hypothetically. I don't know. I've never had to deal with them in cool season grass, only warm season. Uh, Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> what is uh, and I'm going to ask this. Um, there's a uh, a Zoom call tomorrow live. I think you can join it. I think I'll, I'll see if we can plug it here before the end of the show. Uh, people can jump on there. But the uh, chief turf entomologist for Ohio State, real smart guy, nationally renowned. His name's Dr. Dave Shetler. Um, he's been fielding hundreds of calls. He's going to hop on and just talk people through what they should do and everything. But um, one thing in talking to some people is uh, what's your take on what would be the activity of a loft on these in particular? And I, the reason I ask that is some people have gone away from a celeprin because they're getting, um, well, you de- you definitely get better control on chinch bugs and bill bugs here, right? Mm-hmm. As a preventative insecticide. And so some people are asking the question, hey, I didn't use a celeprin, but I used a loft. What do you think? And I, I'm not sure. I'm sure he'll have to answer that question tomorrow, but Nobody really knows the answer right now. So any thoughts on that? Okay. My standard mix for spraying armyworm is Dilox and Arena. And Arena is Clocyanidin, which is the other half of Aloft, because Aloft is a premix of Bifenthrin and Clocyanidin. And... Here's the thing about Clocyanidin. It is a rather active caterpillar killer. Although it is rather hard on bees, but as a caterpillar killer, I do like it. And it actually offers a certain measure of residual control for you know future generations because the typical experience is that People may spray bifenthrin, but the bifenthrin doesn't stay around long enough for the subsequent generations to be affected. So I actually would, you know, empirically look for something like Aloft. Uh, the other one that I liked for treatment of armyworm and an actual, you know, emergent infestation was. FMC's Triple Crown. Uh, mm. Have you ever have you ever heard of Triple Crown, uh, Ryan? Yes, yes, I have. Okay, okay, because Triple Crown is imidacloprid, cypromethrin, and bifenthrin all in one bottle, and that's a very hot mix because cypromethrin is actually the standard in, one of the standard insecticides for application to cotton for bullworm. It works that well on caterpillars. Hmm. So interesting. You've got a no. So you've got a very strong caterpillar killer in triple crown. Hmm. That's interesting. But, uh, you know, I know the but then clothianidin. So the, go go ahead. Yeah, the clostianidin though, that just systemically acts 
you know, later because close anodin on caterpillars is not a, a contact insecticide. It has to be systemically absorbed first and then eaten. And you're right that the big the big knock against Arena, you know, it came out, she's on turf 15 or so years ago, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was sort of the the ball buster uh, that got you through, especially on grubs. And again, it was strong on Bill and Chinch bugs, but then a celebrant came out way safer. And the thing that uh, Clothianid and Arena got a bad rap on is the bees. You're right. Like it is particularly harsh on pollinators. And so, um, something to consider there. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I, it's one of those things that you, you, you we've, I don't want to say we've been spoiled, but a minocloprid, you know, is a, is a solid product has been for years. You know, the, um, the bee issues aside there, I think they're probably less so than what, uh, with a minocloprid than what clothianidin is, but you know, it's all lumped in with the neonicotinoids, right? And so it's going to get a bad rap no matter what it is. doesn't matter what the chemical is, right, within that group. So I just wonder, right, so we get onto a celeprin, and now it's uh, kind of changing the strategy in terms of Bill and Chinchbug um, control. And now throw in fall armyworm. So, you know, do we just go out there and spray bifenthrin and uh, out of our ears? every two weeks and you know try to clean up everything yep exactly and then you you know what you end up with matt you end up with what they've got in mississippi right and points around there bifen resistant fall armyworms right oh yeah i already got exactly i I already got them in hawaii i already got them in hawaii i mean and actually most good luck populations no most populations of armyworm here in hawaii are rather resistant to pyrethroids in general because guess what's sold to consumers? Either bifenthrin or gamma cyhalothrin granules. Because I get calls about people that they put down the bifen granule or else the cyhalothrin granule and the armyworms are still munching. And knowing that, I thank them for telling me that they did that, and I bust out the arena and dialogues and get to work, and that finally yeah, ends uh, the infestation. <laughs> Johnny Larkin asked here, "Why are the army worms so bad?" I don't know where Johnny's at, rough relative to the country, uh, but Oklahoma. I do know Oklahoma. Uh, so what I've what I understand, right, and I'm just um, reiterating what I've heard. Uh, from people that are in the know that um, because of some of the tropical weather patterns here that have blown stuff up from the Gulf, you know, so the Gulf mm-hmm. shores and then um, point south of there into Florida. Damn you, Florida. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that has taken, and, and I was reading a, a, an email blast that uh, Dr. Shetler from Ohio State put out. And he said, this is, this is no joke. He said that uh, these moths, right, that lay the eggs that, uh, develop into these pupa that are now feeding right on our turf here they can move as much as 500 miles in one day if they get caught up in a jet stream and get pushed up by weather or the jet stream in general so you, know, you think about that and how that's going to vector these insects you know much further north right depending on where that's all moving that's that's serious business and so uh, i'll be anxious to hear 
Jay Pink, let me get that link for you, and you can share it out if people have time and want to join, especially uh, us Yankee bastards, right? Uh, I'm, I'm one of the... <laughs> And these these Yankees better start thinking about that. By the time it's yeah. showing up in your area, these things have been sprayed how many hundreds of times with bifenthrin, right? It's true. So, um, you know, I was reading something uh, earlier. It was a it was a, a a published study where they were talking about how the later instars uh, that show up as it moves up north are, have different degrees of resistance, um, even though you know it's all from the same year. Uh, just the later generations are, are showing it in that, in that, you know, cycle of army worm activity. So, you know, as, and I, as warm as it is right now, we're still going to have army worm activity for at least another three weeks, if not four weeks, if not a little longer. <clears throat> if we have one of those weird years, like a couple years ago where it was hot until the end of October, I mean, who knows how far North this is going to go and they're going to eat the whole way there. And they're going to have been sprayed with bifenthrin hundreds of times diversify your mode of actions do you think there's Absolutely. any truth do you, do you think there's any truth to the idea that sometimes when we get these mild winters that it does change like the life cycle pattern of some of these insects where they're either hatching earlier or they're laying eggs at different times and we because this year i think the army worms came a few weeks earlier than we usually see and we usually start seeing them closer to like the end of august and we saw them about two or three weeks ago um, I know working on golf courses, that's what we always thought. Like even ABWs up north, uh, anytime we had a mild winter, if we felt like that the insects always came on earlier. Uh, you know, I, I've I heard, know. again, Dr. Shetler, again, I, I trust this guy implicitly with anything to do with um, with insects and entomology. And I, I've heard him say that on numerous occasions about numerous pests. Now, some of them, some are like old wives tales and I'll be honest, I can't remember which ones aren't, aren't, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's definitely one of those though, that, you know, I think there is some pretty good model data on certain like grubs in particular on, um, heating degree days, right. Or growing degree mm -hmm. days that on, in terms of emergence and things like that, or other phenological indicators that you can use, um, for, you know, those different instars as they begin to emerge out, become pupae and start feeding. Right. And so, uh, yeah, that's, I think you got to scout. I think the number one thing is scout, you know, your turf, right? So if you're in a lawn care company and you know, a teacher text, what to look for, right? Signs and symptoms, mm -hmm. right? So that when they come back to the office, it's not, Hey, you know, I was out at Mrs. Jones's place two days ago and it was fine. And then she called you two days later and was like, I don't have a lawn anymore. What are we going to do about that? You know? Mm -hmm. And so, okay. I, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Okay. Because here's, here's my last words with my customers is that they are to get a hold of me by any means necessary. If they see birds congregating in their lawn during the middle of the day, I mean, I tell them you, I'll scream at you. If you bug me about, other things but the one time i won't get mad is if you call me when you see birds congregating in the middle of your lawn you know during the daytime because that is my sign that i have army worm so ray's got ray's got that red phone like you know they have the old batman <laughs> show on television <laughs> yeah. <just> <laughs> 
Yes, Commissioner Gordon. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's no, actually, actually, get... this better be about yeah, army that... worms, or I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> no, it's actually you know, no, you know what he, you know what he, you know what he answers it. He answers it in this real prim proper voice. It says, "Insect Death Squad Hotline." Ray speaking. How can I help you? Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, but then, but then that that is actually how I've had to kind of train my customers is that I tell them when you see those birds coming, uh, I do the little soap flush with like a get, you know, a couple gallons of water and a few drops of dish soap. And they start jumping out of that turf. And that's when I'm, I'm making, taking a mental inventory of how much stuff I got with me. Seriously. <laughs> do I want to do this quietly? Do I want to do this slowly? Do I want to, you know, really watch, stick around for a while and watch these guys wiggle on the turf, right? Like, how am I going to do this? Ray is like no, the I, I told the turf, man. No, I, I'll this, tell you, know, you puts what. Out some plastic and... I tell you what, Ryan. <laughs> if you spray dialogues correctly... They're jumping out yeah. of the grass in in a few Honest? minutes. Yes, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. It's. Yeah. Uh... I mean, if you <laughs> have done it, you know. And I'm sorry, but you can't do that at forty ounces per thousand square foot. Carry Doesn't quite work. Oh, right. <laughs> right. What you don't carry know. Carry what you don't know. <laughs> true. Oh boy! It, Listen, if I've done it with carbaryl at thirty-two ounces a thousand, I can do it with damn dialogs at thirty-two ounces a thousand. I don't want to tell you about <laughs> the shit I've done, but you know what? It keeps it jumping out of the ground, and my and that's one less step I had to take that day on my step counter, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> it's funny though. Now, like I would be like, oh, I gotta get ten more steps in. I don't know. All right, y'all, let's wrap this up. Let's head on over to the show after yep. the show. For those of you that are wondering what the show after the show is, let's give you a little bit of a rundown how it's going to be. Uh, we're going to be grown men there. We're going to say dirty words. We're going to say bad words. We're going to have a good time. It's, it, it's just as much entertainment for us as it is for you. However, because of how uh, grown man it is, uh, we do ask for a couple of uh, or an airport beer in order to get access to it. So you have to join the channel in order to have access to it. You hit the join button there and, uh, and you know, you got a range of different things depending on how much you enjoy this content. If you enjoy our content, you would like to support us so we can remain independent. We don't have to take handouts from Syngenta and Bayer or whoever else will will give us a dollar to do this. Then uh, hit the join button and become a, a sponsor of the content we, we produce. If you don't want to, no problem. It's no problem, no harm, no foul. If you don't like bad words and that kind of stuff, that's perfectly okay too. We love you still. But that being said, we're going to see you in the show after the show. Y'all have a good evening.